I want to talk about the joy of our salvation today. I've had a really good week. I've had a week just reveling in my message. And my message is about recovering the joy of my salvation. So I have spent all week this week just remembering all the good things that God has done for me and what it has meant for God to save my life. And so I've had just a brilliant week of just being with the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit and in His Word. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is not the weird uncle of the Trinity, as we learned last week. (laughs) He's awesome. And uh, so I feel like today, I feel like you can call me visual aid, because I feel like I'm full of the joy of the Lord as I'm speaking to you, and that's what I'm speaking about. But my title for today is called Flee to Remember, because this is the moment in our Exodus series where the Israelites get free. When Pharaoh finally lets go of his grip and the people are able to move out into a whole new life. And right at the heart of it, God says, you have to remember what happened to you all. So I promise I will get to Exodus this morning, but I want to come at it from a certain angle. So please bear with me. We're going to take like the scenic route to the scriptures. I want to begin by asking you to remember the early days of your relationship with Jesus. Can you remember the early days? Can you remember that the moment that you knew that your sin was removed and everything was right between you and God? That there was no longer anything held against you and your soul was clean and free? Can you remember a time? It may have been a gradual thing for you or it may have been a moment in time, but at some point you would have woken up. If you're a believer... At some point you would have woken up to the fact that you are free, you are clean, you are at one and at peace with God. An amazing feeling. I remember for me it was like I was walking six inches off the pavement. It was, uh, for me it was like uh, Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. That, that, that there was a weight lifted off my back and all of a sudden my spirit, my soul, it was like someone had filled me with helium. I was just kind of lighter than air in my spirit. It was like this spring of joy had opened up in my heart and I couldn't take the smile off my face and I was relentlessly positive, irritatingly (laughs) positive. There was nothing too difficult or impossible because I had God with me. God himself, the creator of everything, had become my new best friend and I was his favorite person. That's how it was for me. I felt so saved and so loved and so welcome to God. I felt like the future was one big, extraordinary, supernatural adventure saturated with purpose and destiny and I was at the centre of it with God. God was at the centre too. (coughs) But I just felt like my life had just taken on this whole new quality. From now on, it's just me and him. Look out, world. Prepare to change. God has a man on the planet. (laughs) It was a bit like that. I found Jesus. I I think it did make me annoying to some people. I know that's hard to imagine. (laughs) But I do think I was a little bit irritated. 
I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. Oh, just walk around. I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. If it hadn't been for Jesus, where would I be? I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. He saved me. He saved me. He saved me. He saved me. Well, if it hadn't been for Jesus, where would I be? I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. Given that my singing voice is mediocre, I imagine I was pretty irritating to some. Why should Barack Obama have all the fun? I can sing too. Yeah, it was a, 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 an amazing start to life with God for me. And I think it was attractive to some. There were some people that didn't even share my faith that would come up to me and say, well, whatever you're doing, keep doing that because you're so much fun to be around at the moment. Because I was just so full of the joy of the Lord. I had a strange kind of lust for life around me. Do you know what? That, that season of my life still has the power to change my life today. I, it, it's not difficult to go back there and just to remember <clears throat> what it was like. And as I do, the feelings start flooding back. So I just want to ask you, what are the happiest times you have had with God? What are the times when you've known the greatest joy? Was it those first few moments or was it a time when you went somewhere and experienced God in some way? Or a time when God just seemed to open his word to you and spoke to you and transformed your life? When was it that you enjoyed the Lord so much? To quote one of my favorite up and coming preachers, teaching point number one. Our experience of the goodness of God is never intended to be left behind. You carry them with you and you can return to them whenever you want to. When God blesses your life, when God moves your heart, it's not like a moment that passes. It's not like a photo in the album of things long gone past. No, it, God's blessing and times of refreshing and times of joy have a different quality altogether. They leave a deposit in your soul that can be reactivated as and when we need them in our present and in our futures. It's something you carry as a gift for the rest of your life. This is important to know. Because it just so happens that if you are a believer, you have already received the greatest blessing you're ever going to have. You already have it. God blessed us so much at the outset that we don't need any more, ever. Seriously. I want to go as far as to say, if God never did anything more in your life beyond what he did when you got saved... You would still have everything necessary for an intimate and powerful walk with the Lord and a dynamic and fruitful ministry to those around you. Really? Can that be right? It is right. And here's why. God, in his wisdom, gave you everything. All the fullness of life and godliness. All the rights and privilege that come along with being a son or a daughter of God on day one one of your Christian life. 
The rest of your life is simply exploring and unpacking what God gave us in fullness the moment we put our faith in Jesus. You and I don't need anything else to know a personal revival. The moment you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, it was as though the Father said, let this one have unhindered access to my presence forever. And you angels, look after this one and assist them in whatever way they need it because they've become my very own son or daughter. I will put my spirit in them and they will know me. And this favour will never be removed from them so long as their heart is with me. That is the reality when you became a Christian. That's why it's so hard to really capture that moment and to acknowledge what actually happened when people get saved. And it's really hard to know how to react when people put their faith in Jesus. This is true for every sinner saved by God's grace. The fullness of life and joy. The fullness of the joy of salvation is yours right now. It's a gift that you all carry in your hearts if you know God and if you've given your life to Jesus. One that God will never take back. And it's right now within all of you. You have the gift of salvation. Every single one of you. If the joy of your salvation feels a little bit diminished this morning, it can be woken within you. God has asked us to do one thing to reignite the flame. And that is to remember. To remember. Remember who you were and where you were headed before Christ caught up with you. Remember all that God gave you when you first put your faith in Christ and what it means to be welcomed by God as a co-heir of all things with Christ. Remember the promises. Remember how much it cost God to give it to you and how valuable that makes you as a person. Remember how amazing God has been to you in the past and how wonderful it has felt to be in fellowship with God. Remember those times of intimacy. Remember it, recall it, stir it up, revel in the truth of it. Because it's still the truth. Revelation 2 verse 5 says, Remember the height from which you've fallen. And turn around and do the things that you did at first. You know what that means? That means you've got a green light to relive and rehearse the best moments of your faith. By stirring up your heart, remembering your history with God, rehearsing the joy of your salvation, counting every blessing and reveling in the promise that God has given his people. This is God's intention for your life and mine. That we would continually know the joy of our salvation through remembrance. Sometimes people come to me and they say, do you know what? My faith is a bit dry. I can't, I can't find God like I used to. My, my heart feels a bit cold towards God. And we all go through dry times. There's no condemnation there. That's part of the Christian life. We have to navigate through those times. But there's a, there's a part of people sometimes that says, I want God to pick me up from where I am and put me back in that same Wonderful territory that I found myself long ago when things were amazing between me and God. And I think there's something a little bit wrong there. 
Because I don't believe that God needs to pick us up from where we are and put us back somewhere. I believe that we are standing in the same place that we always were, in the same favor, in the same salvation, in the same promises, in the same goodness of God and joy of God towards us. But somehow we have lost sight of it. Somehow the blinkers have come down and we can't see it anymore. And people's Christian lives can begin like God has set them in, in like a garden of Eden that is endless. And wherever we go, there's more things to explore. And there's a delight around every corner and our heart skips a beat every time we know that God has done something else for us. And somewhere along the line, that Garden of Eden turns into like a windowless convent. And it's like all duty and no joy. That can happen. But the reality is, you haven't moved out of a garden and into a windowless convent or a cell. Somewhere along the line, you stopped exploring the garden. Somewhere you stopped getting excited about who God has made you who, and the life that God has called you into and all the potential that is around that. Somewhere along the line, you forgot that the Holy Spirit wants to lead you into all truth. And that when you open your Bible, it is a window of intimacy to God. And He can speak to your life and set your heart on fire. Somewhere along the way, you forgot that the Holy Spirit likes to give you good gifts generously and that there are things that God has intended for you to do that you haven't even begun to experience yet. <coughs> somewhere along the way, you lost that childlike sense of adventure. And somewhere, in a subtle way, it's like the enemies put a blindfold over your eyes and told you that you're somewhere else. And you can't get to that point where you think, if only God would take me back there. I'm sick of being in this confined, gloomy, dutiful place in my life with God. But actually, do you know what? It's like the Holy Spirit just needs to take the blindfold off. And you realise that you're still standing in the same place, with the same privileges, with the same joys, the same potentials, the same wide open spaces of spiritual life to explore safely in God. The joys are still always all around you. You just need to learn to look for them again. Truth encounters. Remembering the ground that God has put us in. Remembering the life that God has called us to. Remembering the things that God has done for us. Remembering what it feels like to be reveling in what God has done. It's all still true. Let me give you another scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. says this, Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Why? Verse 9. For you are receiving, everybody say receiving. Receiving. You are receiving the end result of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. The people that Peter was writing to were filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Do you want some of that? Then let's, let's look at what they were doing. Peter explains why. He says they were receiving the salvation of their souls. And that word receiving means continually receiving. All the freedom and the cleansing and the favour and the blessing and the excitement of the Lord. They were receiving it as a lifestyle 
not as a moment back in the course of time. The salvation of their souls happened at one time, but they learned to continually living the blessing of it, which caused them to continually know what Peter described as inexpressible and glorious joy. I think the church needs more inexpressibly glorious people. I think the church in this country would just automatically bubble out onto the whole country if we were filled with an infectious joy. I love being around infectiously joyful people. It does something in me. I catch it. I catch the joy. And I can't get enough. It's I'm like bees around a honeypot. They daily remembered who they had become and made daily use of the open way to the Father that Jesus provided. Why would we ever stop doing that? It makes absolutely no sense. When Jesus has just given all to open this way to joy with God, why would we ever wake up one day and say, well, I'm not going that way today? Once you've tasted it, it makes absolute sense to make that your journey of every day. And yet somehow life happens and we forget. Forgetfulness is a terrible thing when it comes to the spiritual life. Remembrance is not boring or dead. The word remembrance even sounds a little bit formal and boring, doesn't it? It's not. It's a wellspring of life. And our journey of faith hangs on our commitment to never forget who we are. In Exodus... They're at this moment where the nation is being formed. Their identity is being formed as a people of God. This is the big moment of deliverance. So God has fought for Israel. God has delivered Israel from Pharaoh's mighty hand. He saved them from death and judgment through this final plague. He's brought their oppressor to the point where he couldn't hold them anymore. And with great power and sacrifice, he's led them out into freedom. And then God says, never, ever forget what I did for you in these days. This, it has become who you are. What I've done for you in these short days has formed you as a people group. Let this moment never slip from you. I want you to remember. I want this moment of unprecedented blessing to be a wellspring of joy for you for the rest of your life and for future generations. He said, celebrate every year with a Passover feast. And the day of this feast of remembrance, Exodus 13 verse 8 says, See on that day that you tell your children, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead. I love that expression. God wants them to celebrate the Passover and tell the story to their children because it will be like a, a sign on their hand and on their forehead. Just imagine you had a tattoo on your hand and on your forehead saying saved and blessed by the power of God. That would do it, wouldn't it? Would that remind you what God has done in your life? The tattoo on your hand would remind you. The one on your forehead would remind everybody else. 
it would be hard to forget. And that's the point. That's the point. Because God knows all too well when we remember, we walk in blessing and we stay close to God. When we forget, we wander off. We walk away. We drift. Just look at Israel's history. If you look at the history of Israel with the filters on, of remembering and forgetting, and see what those seasons coincide with, with the experience of Israel, you can understand why God was so particular about remembering and celebrating the Passover. Times of remembrance coincide with times of renewal and victory. So Joshua, big on remembrance. Esther, Ezra and Nehemiah, recovering the books of the law and reading them out over the people. Recovering the, the covenant. David, all those psalms, all that remembrance. Solomon opens the temple with remembrance. Hezekiah, Josiah, all times of remembering the goodness of God and renewing the covenant between God and his people. All times of revival, renewal, refreshing. Jesus, big one for remembering, loved remembering the goodness of God and asked us to remember. The apostles, all big on remembrance and enjoyed tremendous moves of God. Renewal, refreshing, revival, prosperity. You put the filter on with forgetting. Times of forgetting co coincide with times of shameful apostasy and defeat. Aaron and his golden calf forgot what God did, forgot who God was. The people say, can we have a calf? Can we have some kind of idol that we can worship, something that will go ahead of us, that people will say, hey, look, there's something made of metal, we'd better be scared. And they forgot what just happened, what the God of Israel had done. And they end up swapping the living God for a massive golden nugget. Amazing. King Saul, first king of Israel, through forgetting, went way off piste. Pretty much all the bad kings of Israel and Judah, and there's a lot of them, all about forgetting what God had done and who he had rescued the people to be. New Testament, Judas Iscariot forgot who Jesus is and how blessed he was to be one of the twelve. With all that he'd seen, all that he'd experienced, which probably makes him the most forgetful person that ever lived. Just forgot. Forgot everything and sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver as though that was a good thing to do. They forgot their salvation and the covenanted life with God that they'd been brought into. And as they did, it's as though everything else around them begins to wither and crumble and become smaller. They become vulnerable to all kinds of things. Psalm 78. Let's turn there. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to read the first few verses. Just hear God's heart for remembrance in these verses. Psalm 78, I'm going to read in the NASB. It says, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from our children, 
But to the generation to come, the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob. And he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. The genera- that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. They should put their confidence in God. And sorry, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. It's like David is saying, keep the goodness of God alive. Keep it in your families. Teach the next generation. Don't be like the people who one day are delivered by great power into freedom and the next day forget and want to go back. Don't be like that. Never forget. Always remember. And the Lord gave the Israelites this tremendous tool for remembering called the Passover. A celebration, a feast, a meal, a way to gather the family, a way to pass the significance of who they were onto the next generation. A feast of remembrance and joy that every generation may prepare their hearts and that their spirits would remain faithful, as it says in Psalm 78. And then he gave some important instructions for how it was going to be celebrated. I just want to focus on one aspect of it. God said, A foreigner residing amongst you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The same law applies both to the native born and to the foreigner residing among you. That's Exodus 12 verse 48. There is a clear distinction over those who are invited to remember and those who are not. And here the line is drawn over circumcision, which is the sign of the covenant, the distinguishing feature of all the families who are chosen and blessed of God. This is quite helpful to us, I think, because of the New Testament interpretation of this defining mark of covenant. There was a time where this was like the most important thing in the church, whether people should be circumcised or not as believers in Jesus, whether that was still a requirement that we needed. We've got some hail going on. It's a shame we're not on that bit of Exodus, isn't it? (laughs) That would be cool. Peter, struggling over this circumcision thing, said this. This is in Acts 15, verses 8 and 9. He said, God, who knows the heart, 
showed that he accepted the physically uncircumcised by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. So what is the distinguishing mark of the people of God? What's the important thing? It was the circumcision of the males. Now it is faith, a purified heart, and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Peter said, if you have faith, and if God has purified your heart, and you are in covenant with God inwardly, then the external is no longer necessary. The Holy Spirit confirmed that these people were acceptable to God and brought into that that covenant and that fellowship, that place amongst the people of God. And he confirmed that by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit onto their lives. He said, Peter was saying, well, if the Spirit is prepared to, to be poured out onto these people who haven't been physically circumcised, then surely we should accept them as being fully acceptable to God. Okay? Purified heart, faith in God, receipt of the Holy Spirit. That is what is necessary to be a part of the people of God. Listen to what Stephen says in Acts chapter 7 and verse 51. He's speaking to the Jewish authorities of the time and he says, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. I love that. He doesn't pull his punches, does he? This is speaking to a whole crowd of bloodthirsty, angry, religious people. You stiff-necked people, he calls them. Your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. Obviously, this is drawing on the earlier significance, but saying, actually, there's something about your hearts, there's something about the way you're listening to God that is not set apart for him and is not rooted amongst the true people of faith. Your hearts and your ears are about other business. You're not listening to God and you're not acting as God's people. The circumcision that God looks for is a circumcision of the heart. It is a setting apart of your heart. It is something that is done in your heart that can never be changed and identifies you as to who you are, an identity that you carry for the rest of your days, and your ears too. Your ears are now listening to God in a certain way, which you weren't listening to him before, but they are ears set apart to hear the voice of God speaking into your life, and you're not resisting the Holy Spirit. If those three things are true for you, there's no one on the face of the earth that can tell you you're not part of the people of God. No one can restrain you from fellowship with God, and no one can restrain you from fellowship with the true church, because you have been marked out as God's people. Hearts and ears that are in deep covenant with him. That's what he's looking for. Who are open and not resistant to the Holy Spirit. Is your heart circumcised today? Where is your heart today? Are you in covenant relationship with God today? Are you reveling in the joy of your salvation today? Are you still daily exploring the endless territory that God handed you when you became his sons and daughters. That's what the Christian life is all about. 
That's what we were born to do. I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you to spend this week reveling in the goodness of God. I want, I want to encourage each of you just to take out some time to remember the best times of your faith. Take some time to remember just how important it was when for the very first time you realised you were absolutely clean before the Father. And that his embrace to you was just like we read about in the prodigal son. There's no excuses still to be made. God accepts you freely, wholly and honours you and bestows every good thing that he has to give and has prepared for you a kingdom of glory that you will be a co-heir with Christ in. That one day you will sit with Christ and judge the nations, albeit with grace and with truth and with love. Don't forget who you are. And it, this gift of remembrance has an ability just to pull up our spirits, pull up our souls, reconnect us with a living God who didn't just give you a one-time gift but asked you to walk in it and remember. So we're going to do that this week. We're going to take time. I want to encourage you to journal. I want to encourage you to dig out your old prophetic words. I want to encourage you to, to do the things you did at first as Revelation chapter 2 says. Whatever it was that, that you did when you could not get enough of God, do that this week. Just find some time whatever it was. When you open the scriptures, open it as though you're opening when you first become a Christian and you're amazed that God speaks to you on every page. It's about taking the blindfold off. It's about not sitting down at the scriptures expecting not to hear anything. It's about allowing God to re remind us that our ears are circumcised, that they're in fellowship with God, and that when we open the scriptures, God can speak right into your situation and turn your heart upside down. Will you do that this week? Yeah, yes. And then next week, after a week of reveling, we're going to break bread together.